This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I want you to get your pen, your paper, and get ready to go on Amazon and get this book. You might have to wait on it because I know I have my copy, but maybe HarperCollins and Yuri sent it to me early. I have Yuri Adani, who is a CEO, former CEO of Microsoft Israel. He is also a venture capitalist, an angel investor, and he's going to give us the game on chutzpah. He's going to be just so open because a lot of you, I think, have lost your drive during these COVID times. So hopefully he can help bring it back up. Yuri, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks. I want to know, you know, we all need chutzpah. We all need to be unstoppable. You can do interviews all day about, okay, why'd you write this? How'd you write this? But I want to start with, why do you think people are so lacking right now? What is it about folks that, you know, they just don't, they're not born with this um, or do they have to learn it throughout their journey? That, that's a great question. Thanks for that. Because I think uh, one of uh, the things I write in the book is that uh, unlike uh, charisma, where you kind of need to be born with it, uh, chutzpah is something you can actually learn. Uh, and so uh, I'm not sure that... Um, I don't know if people are born with it or not, but I think sometimes it's being suppressed as they grow up in a certain culture. And I would say that any entrepreneur, any successful, good entrepreneur around the world has chutzpah, whether they know how to call it or not, uh, or, or whether you, they you know to put the finger on it. But uh, it's definitely some kind of a virtue that you need in order to be successful. I would say, though, that chutzpah has a positive side and a negative side. So I'm not talking about the negative side, which is being arrogant or rude. I'm talking about the positive side, which we can expand in a minute about, you know, this, this uh, audacity or go-to approach that you really believe in yourself, that you can actually do something that nobody else did before. And, and I really want to, you know, get that, that real go deep because in your book, The Unstoppable Startup, you put the secret rules in there and you put the pillars. And I want them to read this book the same way where they would read the four-hour work week and, you know, books by Seth Godwin. I want them to read this book. I, I, I went through it. I didn't read the book, but I studied it. And that's why through the book, you'll see highlighting because you're talking about things from a perspective where, you know, we hear, oh, Bill Gates wrote a book and this person wrote a book, but here you are doing the same work. Now, maybe you don't have the same flash, you know, in America, but you have the same techniques and you've given a unique approach to it. What is, where does that, does that come from? And I'm just going to put it out there. Israel has a requirement for, you know, the military. Um, many, every, every, pretty much a lot of people know that if you know anything about Israel. America, we have a requirement to watch TV and eat good fatty foods. There's, do you think that the military requirement in having to be tied into your community 
you know, is the reason why Israel has, you know, the most, you know, startups in the world. Well, yeah, it's, I think the military has to do with it. Um, obviously, the community is part of that. And I think the whole ecosystem is, is part of that. Uh, I think the military has uh, two elements to it. One is, uh, I would say, the more obvious one, which is there are some really good technological units that just create this really good talent, usually around cybersecurity, whether it's in the offensive or defensive side. And then when, you know, they finish the, the, the service, they come and start these amazing startups based on their experience. But I think the more interesting element about the Israeli army is actually the culture within it, um, which is a, a bit, I think it's a bit different than other armies in the, in the matter that I would, you would expect that an army would say the most important thing in the army is to follow the orders. And yes, you do need to follow orders in the Israeli army, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to complete the mission. This is it. This is, the, this is what you're being trained for. And in order to complete the mission, you can improvise, you can change the plan, you can do whatever you want. As a commander in the field, you know what's needed. Uh, and I, I was a commander of a combat unit for many years. And the way you're being trained is by... Um, in the drills, you actually get a plan and then let's say it's, a, I don't know, three, four days drill. And then like after three hours into the drill, they said, okay, listen, few things have been changed. You don't have that ammunition. You, you know, these uh, soldiers are wounded. Uh, the things, the, the plan for the night, actually bad weather, you need to do it to, in the daytime, change the plan. And then you have to improvise and be very creative about it as long as you complete the mission. This is kind of the only thing that matters. Now, when you take that into a startup specifically, but I would say to any, any business, but uh, definitely a technological startup, this is a very powerful concept because you are very mission-oriented and very driven by the mission. And unlike, uh, well, somehow like, a, it's not a battlefield, like, you know, fire and everything, but it is some kind of a, uh, a rough, uh, uh, you know, some, bio, some kind of a competitive uh, uh, environment where th in, the, in the business sense where things are changing, the plans need to be changed, you need to be adaptive, this competitors did this, new technology has arrived, and you have to react, you have to be fast to react, you need to improvise. And when you have this mission completion mindset, um, you have the eye on the ball throughout the process. So that that enables you actually to get it done. And so I think that part of the army thing that you mentioned is actually being implemented in these startups that eventually, not all of them, but a lot of them are becoming successful ones worldwide. Now, is Israel's army in your basic training similar to many militaries, especially the US, where it, and, and you know, the military and mob bosses have similar th um, things where it's, we got to break them down to build them up. Is that the approach of the army? No, no, that's not the approach. Uh, you don't need to break anybody up, but you do want to know them and know the, uh, the pros and cons or the advantages and disadvantages and the characteristics of everyone, uh, especially in the combat units where you do you know, you are under fire on, and, and you are in, in real combat. So you want to know that the person has the right mentality 
to be in these situations. And so actually the mentality is the important, you know, the mental strength is much more important than the physical strength. Because physical strength, you can train anybody. Mentally, oh. that's, that's, that's much harder. So you do have these uh, trainings or, you know, you can not sleep two nights. You can walk for, I don't know how many tens of miles in a night. And then uh, I'll give you an example. One of the drills that you do, for example, in the officer's course, and I was, I was a commander of an officer's course at, at some point. So, for example, you walk throughout the night, like, I don't know, with a stretcher on your shoulders, on your shoulder. And then after whatever, five, six, seven hours of really hard physical um, kind of walk, you get back to the base and then you tell them, everybody thinks it's done because they're literally in the gate of the base. And then you say, all right, we're not done yet. You see this uh, hill on the left, like really steep hill. You need to climb that. And then you see some people just break down and they say, you know, they've, see, they've been in the gate and they thought it's over and they break down and say, I, I'm not doing that. They just say, you know, they throw the weapon, whatever they do. And then the others, which have this mental strength, they start walking and they will. And then after like 100, 100 meters, or, uh, you know, you would stop them. You said, all right, you don't you don't really need to climb that. Once you pass this breaking point, I'm sure you can climb that. So you don't really need them. But the others have have broke down. So you do have these kind of little tests. So you don't break them down in terms of the, the you know, to, to build them up. You just want to see that they are mentally have the strength to be in these situations. And obviously, you know, uh, there are some tough situations when you're in the army and in Israel, there is there are real terrorists, real battles, real, real borders with enemies. So you need to make sure that uh, your company or your soldiers or the officers are, are ready, uh, you know, to react in the right way at the right time. No, definitely. And you write about, you know, some of those real threats and about folks who have helped like Danny Gold to create the Iron Dome. Whereas in America, uh, many soldiers feel like, you know, we're playing war, but who's coming to attack America anytime soon? Because where are our closest enemies? You know, they're so far away and yours are right next door. So, no, I, I just just wanted to know, you know, did Israel, you know, use that? Because, I mean, you have, you know, little tasks, you know, pick up your bags and pick up, get the bags and, you know, the constant yelling, depending on what branch. And I know that many soldiers are like, this is what it takes to, <laughs> you know, fulfill my, my, my you know, contract. Um, and, and you did, I mean, you're commanding officers, which would, would you say that's even more difficult? Because now you have people who are, feel like they're special and above other people. How did you, you know, bring that into um, the business world? Like, what did you learn in commanding officers and then saying, I can command, you know, millionaires and um, others? So you're never above any people, <laughs> whether you're in the army or not. You have to look everybody in the eye. And actually, in the army, the fact that you have some ranks on your so on 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 your shoulders doesn't mean that you're above anybody. Uh, I would say that more than that, nobody will run into fire after you because of your ranks. They will run out of fire because they believe in you, because you give them the self-example, and because they trust that you got the right decision. And this is what we need to do now. So it's all, you know, in the Israeli army, there is a, it's a very famous kind of call out after me. 
when you are in a battle and you are the first to run, if you're the commander, you're the first to run, not the last one. And then they run after you. So self-example is a very important thing. And I think when you take that into the business world, again, it's a very relevant uh, kind of virtue because, you know, people are looking at their managers, their CEOs, their, their, you know, their, their, their management team, and they want to see how they, uh, how they act, uh, not what they say, what they do. And so I think that uh, self-example is probably one of the most important things that any, you know, leader, uh, and I'm saying leader, leader, not a manager, any leader should have. Um, because um, this is how you need to, mo this is what eventually motivates people. And, you know, managing people and leading people, it's, it boils down to motivating them. Uh, and, and I think in hard times, it's, it's, it's the right test. And, uh, and so I think there's a lot of, again, you know, a combat is a very extreme situation, but you definitely have tense times in business and uh, you need to make sure that you lead your, your people in the right way in order for them to, you know, to follow you and to get the mission done. What is um, more enjoyable, doing the venture capital work or the angel, being an angel investor and why? Um, I think it's a different play. Uh, the venture capital play is a more, uh, you know, it's more capital. Uh, you deploy, you know, millions of dollars into the companies. Uh, usually you sit on the board of the companies uh, and you are more involved, I would say, in the, you know, in the strategic decision of the company. Um, as, a, as an angel investor, in most cases, you know, you invest the relatively more modest checks. Uh, in most cases, you're not on the board and uh, you can, you know, you get updates. You can talk to the CEOs from the CEO from time to time but you're less involved in the hands-on, so, so to speak, of, of, of the company. Um, so I think it's a different play. Uh, having said that, I think as an angel investor, you do, um, again, you can be an angel investor alongside the venture capitals. You can be only, you know, some companies are based only on, on, on angel money. Uh, and so it's a different kind of... Uh, dynamics so i think that uh, in, ma in in many cases the dynamics of uh, of a vc backed company is different than a non vc backed company uh for better or worse there are a lot of good things about being you know supported by a vc not just the capital but all uh but mainly the other added value that the venture capital brings uh mm -hmm. but in some cases as an angel investor you can actually add value as well whether it's through connections you know, your, uh, your experience, uh, opening doors, um, you know, distribution channels and, and so forth. Do you have a preference? No, I, I, I think I love venture capitalism because, again, I think that uh, you have the opportunity to see many, many companies. Uh, just to give you an idea, the average, uh, we usually, as a venture capital, you look at about 100 companies uh, and you make invest in one. So it's one to 100. That's more or less the, the, the ratio between the ones you look at or meet to the one you invest in. So you get to get to see a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of startups, a lot of technologies. As an angel investor, you look at it in more, I would say, opportunistic manner uh, rather than strategic where, where you look at uh, as, a, as a VC. Um, so I'm, no, I don't have a preference. I think both are, both are fun in their own way. And, uh, and I think if you're doing a good job, you can contribute to the company in, in both hats.
And if this type of topic is new to you, you guys check out this book. And he goes through, even talks about, you know, series A, you can be a beginner or advanced. You can really get something out of this book. But I, I, and, and I want them to read that. So I'm not going to ask you um, what, you know, people probably typically would ask you. But I want to know, you know, you, Yuri, walking down the street, networking, talking with people, especially young people, um, you know, globally, how should they approach you with a great idea? And, because a lot of folks, what we're seeing, I just moved from Seattle to South Florida. And a lot of folks, you know, you would think the venture capitalists are rock stars if you know who they are. You know, hey, let me get your autograph. Let me get your card. Let me find you on LinkedIn. Da, 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 da. So what is, what is an appropriate way for people to reach out to you to say, I have the next greatest idea um, that, you know, and what are ways not to approach you too? Because I think that everyone is different. So people like to be approached, you know, differently. Uh, first of all, I think venture capitalists should be approachable. Uh, and this is our job, you know, to see young entrepreneurs, to support them, whether it's in, in capital or, or in other manners. So definitely you should be approachable and give a good uh, feeling to an entrepreneur that, you know, feel free to approach me and by all means send me your deck or, 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 or anything like that. I think that uh, it is advisable for, you know, entrepreneurs to do some, some checkup or some background check uh, to see what, you know, previous investments or what is it that, you know, I'm interested in. For example, now in the last six months, I'm, I'm, I'm into uh, uh, digital health uh, more than I was previously, for example. So, you know, this is kind of the space I'm in now. I'm less interested um, in, in, uh, in other spaces. Um, so, uh, you know, what's the background? If there are some data about uh, investments that have been done by the, by the investor, it's good. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people think that venture capitalists are very uh, anal in terms of, you know, Excel sheets and data and things like that which is partially true. Obviously, we look at the data, we look at the Excel sheets, we look at the, you know, market trends, etc. But there's a lot of, um, I would say, uh, effect to other elements, such as passion. So if you're, if you're not passionate about what you do, I can't be passionate about that. And the passionate is something that... Uh, uh, it's either you have it or not. It's very hard to kind of play the, the, the passion. It's like, you know, a singing contest. You, you just say this guy's good or not. You don't know really why. Uh, so it's not something you can actually fake. But I think that uh, passion is extremely important. And passion also is it's contagious. You know, if you see somebody who's highly passionate, you say, oh, if he's so passionate about it, then it's, you know, he may bring other people who would be uh, passionate about it. So this is very important. Um, the other thing is, you know, the, the, the team, how the team works, the chemistry between the team. You want a team that works well together, that you would like to be part of this team in a way, because as an investor, you are, you know, in the board, you, it's, it's, uh, it's half a marriage. You know, it's a, a few years' time of spending time together in ups and downs. And uh, you want to make sure that it's a fun and good team to work with. And you want to make sure that the founding team really works together and clicks together well. Um, the other thing that, you, that 
I usually look at is is the their sense of urgency. You know how how hungry they are to actually conquer the the, the category that they're in. You know whether they are running fast and they can accelerate and they want to be first and they want to you know dominate the category that they're after. Um, because if you're kind of laid back and I've seen some entrepreneurs who say, yeah, well, we'll do it next year. We'll do it in three years time. And, you know, you don't have that time. You don't have that luxury. You need to run fast and accelerate. Uh, and, and, uh, so this kind of sense of urgency is very important. And I would say last thing maybe on that, um, is the focus. You want to make sure that they are highly focused and know exactly what they want to do. Again, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't change it because of market, uh, the market change and uh, they need to, to you know, adjust and maybe even pivot in sometimes. But you want to, it's not that, okay, we have technology and we're thinking we can do this, we can do this, we can do that. That's not good enough. You need to say, okay, this is what we've decided. This is what we've researched. This is the market we are, we're after because it's growing in this, this, uh, in this terms. There's lack of competition. So we can actually, there's two, three players. We can actually dominate it. And uh, we have a best technology and this is how we go into, uh, this is our go-to-market strategy. So you want them to be focused and have a clear plan of how to execute their, uh, their, their mission. I'm so glad you said that. Um, I created a few years ago, I say a monster and putting the drive of entrepreneurship in my wife who was going through her residency. And she got offered, you know, I put her in a pitch competition. She was one of the winners. And they offered her, you know, all this money. And I said, no, nah, I can't take it because you're focused. You're still in residency with two children and a, and a husband who's helping you with this business. But there's no way you can honestly take people's money and then say, I have to work 100 hours a week at the hospital. It's it just you have to have your focus. So I'm glad that you, you know, talk about that because everybody has a great idea. So they think, but can they, you know, put those steps are there any, what are the, you know, uh, projects and that you like? Do you like to focus more on the social good or do you find, you know, more help in like the tech stuff or, you know, something that's maybe just, just out of this world? I can see how they all can connect. You know, Uber helps even everybody get to, you know, where they need to go. But what's like that sweet spot for you that you're like, oh, yes, another one of these. Um, so I think it has transitioned with time and I would say that now I'm looking for what it's called impact investments in a way. So, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a double bottom line, so to speak. So it's not just about social, uh, it's not social entrepreneurship per se, but you do look for companies that has, uh, some impact. Uh, I'll give you maybe two examples. One is, uh, of, a of a, a VC that I'm a board on uh, called Taqueen, which we created in, in, in Israel, and it's uh, investing in Israeli Arab entrepreneurs because the Arab community wasn't part of the, of the high-tech ecosystem in a, in a good enough manner. And we thought that it's wrong, and we created this vehicle that invests in these entrepreneurs. Now, it, it, it is a for-profit uh, you know, uh, uh, VC, and we do want to have the multiples for our investors. But uh, the other, that's, you know, let's call it the first bottom line. But the second bottom line is to actually impact the, uh, the community, the Arab community, and making sure that they're being part of the, the overall uh, Israeli high-tech ecosystem. 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think the digital health, uh, biotechnology or bioconvergence, what it's called today, it's all things that are uh, food tech, for example. It's all things that have, uh, they have business behind them and sometimes very big business, but they have also an impact element to them, which I think uh, today when I look at a company, um, it's not just about the technology. It's not just about, you know, whether this could be a great exit, but also how could it has some element uh, of, a, of an impact, whether it's on the culture side, whether it's on the health side, whether it's on certain countries around the world. So uh, I would definitely say that this is something that has emerged in the last couple of years. I think that's that's great. I mean, we see all the problems in the world and the fact that you said, let me reach across the aisle to, you know, make this a bridge and we need more of that. We'd probably have a lot more peace around the world. You think how divisive, you know, especially America is and, you know, it's not even real issues except difference of opinion because, you know, folks have thrown religion and different things out. But I, I really like that. Have you seen, you know, anything to help homelessness or do you have any, you know, great ideas that communities can take to help the homelessness? And I say that because here in America where we're all fat, um, you would think that, you know, food wouldn't be a problem, but people have had solutions. I've sat in many government meetings and I've, oh yeah, that's a great idea, but we can't do that. You know, have you seen anything that works to help feed people? Because that's a, a big thing in, in, in my life. Yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, I have, I have been in touch with people who looked at the homeless as a kind of more social entrepreneurship, you know, saying, you know, how to have all sorts of homes and uh, shelters and things like that, which I think is, is great. Technology-wise, I think that, um, you know, I can think of technologies that may be implemented in the future. I don't see them happening tomorrow morning. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, initiatives now of personalized food. So uh, whether uh, it can be a printable food, you know, you can print a hamburger today and things like that based on uh, some kind of uh, um, genes that you have or things like that. So, again, I, I wouldn't say it's directly for the homeless, unfortunately, but I would say that uh, understanding your, uh, in, in healthcare, for example, the world is going to, to personalization. Uh, and I think that if it will be a simple test, let's say, you know, I take whatever, you, a part of the spit or a saliva or something like that, that I can say, okay, I know what your uh, DNA is uh, or your genes are, and I can actually get you the right food or the right medicine or the right help in order for you to actually be a healthier person, uh, if that will become a commodity, I think that it enables the people who don't necessarily have the capital or, or the means to, you know, today to get the right treatment, uh, I think it will hopefully lower the bar and have access, it make, make healthcare accessible uh, in a much accurate manner, uh, also to people that don't necessarily have the means uh, today to have the right uh, uh, treatment. Now, I'm a consultant, so I see many of, you know, projects just like yourself. You hear about things, but I love to ask entrepreneurs, 
what is your community give back? You've talked about a lot of community give backs, but have, is there one that you have not mentioned or something that you would like to do in the future? Um, yeah, I've been involved in a you know, non-for-profit uh, organization called The Sky's the Limit in Israel, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, which, uh, and there's another one that I've been, that JVP, the fund that I was running, actually some uh, uh, called Bakehila that uh, Arel and Debbie Margalit created, these organizations are focusing on um, on giving uh, children a good chance uh, at an early stage. So when you look at people who are or, or children, where they are, you know, at the age of I would say seven, eight, nine years old, uh, in many cases, this is kind of the tipping point between them becoming, you know, good students and have good you know, opportunity in life to going on the, on the wrong uh, side and, 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 and kind of losing the opportunity. And uh, in many cases is challenge, you know, uh, is neighborhoods that are challenged and, uh, and they don't have the, the aims to do it or the means to do it. And so, uh, for example, the, the nonprofit that I was uh, involved with, uh, we kind of uh, taught entrepreneurship or uh, kind of, uh, trained, so to speak, entrepreneurship with very young children. And uh, some of the things are really amazing because you, uh, you meet a child and he says to you, you know, for example, I'll give you an example. He said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a, um, um, a guard in the, in the shopping mall that checks the bags. In Israel, you have to check the bag each time you go to a shopping mall. He said, you know, this is kind of the top that he could think of. And, uh, and there was this um, Ethiopian uh, doctor, MD, that came to the school. And then the children would say, wow, he can be actually a medical doctor. Now I can raise the bar and <laughs> I want to be a doctor now. So in a way, this mindset, you know, coming back to the mindset that we talked earlier of, you know, of young children, I think some of them, uh, uh, it, you can change and help them to be more... Um, to think in a larger manner and to, to, to thrive for more and higher. And if you give them a little bit of means, and the means are not necessarily just capital, it's, it's means of, uh, you know, patience and, and, and guidance and, and uh, teaching sometimes. Uh, and if somebody is a bit struggling to give them the extra help, in many cases, this is actually what makes the difference in this tipping point. And I think that in that perspective, I, I'm very glad that I, I had this opportunity to be, you know, to be part of this uh, non-for-profit organization. That, that's a big thing. Exposure is everything, especially young. And I'm glad you said those numbers, you know, that eight, nine range, because people think, oh, I'll get them when they're 15. It's too late. They're already addicted to the video games and whatever else that's consuming them. Have you seen any, you know, programs? I don't know if you have children or a, a, a wife family. But anything that you did for maybe if you do have children, your children to say, no, there's a program or seen any programs, because I just with automation, it's almost like we're all living in a virtual world. And it's just what channel are you tuned into? Um, so have you seen anything, used anything special that you could give people a tip to say, you know, try this, try that? In terms of, you know, in, uh, in terms of... Um... I think coming back to what we just discussed uh, about um, 
uh, unprivileged neighborhoods, for example, unprivileged children. So I think, you know, some people think, oh, I can't, you know, I can't solve the, the hunger in Africa. So they think very, very big. And I think that uh, eventually it's all, it's all down to very specific missions that you can define to yourself. Uh, and, and again, it's small examples. There was this initiative here in, in where I live, in the, just outside Tel Aviv in the countryside, where they said there, there are a few schools in the, in the nearby city that the children don't have this uh, sandwiches to take to school because they don't have, uh, they're coming from um, unprivileged uh, families. And so they've created this initiative that they bring these sandwiches once, once a week, twice a week, whatever, uh, to the school. And then, you know, it's very, it's something very small when you think about it. You know, everybody contributes a little bit of, you know, cheese or bread or whatever, and they come and create these sandwiches to the kids and they get, you know, good, uh, you know, some vegetables, etc. And it was a very small initiative, but it really made a change to these children that they supported. So I would say don't, you know, yeah, you should have an, a big vision and definitely a startup should have a big vision. But I think that you can, you should try to, uh, kind of narrow it down to what is it that you can do tomorrow morning in order to start uh, this path to your larger vision. And these little little actions that you take, uh, in many cases, they actually what changes the reality, uh, whether it's your company or whether it's uh, the community that you're in. So I think that um, kind of don't, uh, it, you, you should, of course, think large, but don't let a big vision uh, paralyze you, so to speak, of not doing anything because it's just too large. Try to come up with an operational plan that gives you, you know, what's the first step that I can take and will make a change within a week or a month? Uh, and then what's the next step I can take? Yeah, have your big mission in your mind. That should be kind of your guidelines or your campus, uh, uh, compass, I mean. Um, but, um, but by all means, you know, make sure that it's something um, that is actionable and you can implement it. I had to share one of your pillars with a, a team member and, you know, they, they got to like number four and they were like, government support, that's the hardest thing ever. I said, well, you know, there's three other pillars before that <laughs> and two after that. So focus on those because again, there's, it's like a blueprint find these things. And again, you have to build out a team to, you know, make everything that you're talking about in this great book um, there. You had mentioned though, um, printing hamburgers, whatnot, which makes me think you read the book, The Future is Faster Than You Think or something like that. Um, are you guys doing that already? Um, you know, maybe fast food is already doing 3D printing in Israel. We're not there yet in America that we know of. Yeah, so no, I've actually seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> it's a 3D printer and you get a hamburger at the end of it. And not only that, you can actually say whether you want it medium, well done, you know, rare, uh, whether you want it, uh, you know, crispy or not. It's really amazing. Um, it, it's still in the development phase, I would say. It's not implemented yet in, in, in you know, in the... Uh, in the McDonald's of the world, but uh, uh, it is something that um, it's being, you know, developed and it's working. It's not yet commercial, 
but I would say that probably within a couple of years, you will start to see these implementations uh, in various places. I'm not sure the fast food would be the first, by the way, go to market. Uh, I would say that probably um, hospitals, for example, that has, you have a lot of people with very specific diets and today they all get the same food, strangely enough. Uh, and so you say, okay, I'm in a hospital and I can eat this or, he, he, uh, or this person cannot eat that. I would print him the right or her uh, the right menu or the right hamburger or the right, you know, pa pasta or the right fish for that matter. So uh, I think yeah, definitely the personalization is, of food will definitely be there. And I think, I think that food printing will be one of the catalysts for that. No, that, that's awesome. Have you found a difference um, in entrepreneurs that does chutzpah help you or hurt you if you are, you know, married? I always like to ask people, you know, how does, how have they seen marriage impact business? We know, you know, Bill Gates got married later in life and he's, you know, just dedicated, dedicated, dedicated. Give us your, your take on that. Well, there's two angles to that. I mean, one is, do you use chutzpah in order to, you know, um, get into relationships? You know, there's all sorts of one-liners that people use, and some of them are being rude, and some of them are being funny. So uh, I think, you know, if you, you know, you like somebody and you're, you want to, to get into a serious relationship, you should, and, you know, you should definitely engage in some manner, uh, one way or another. I think that, yeah, I, I'm married and I have two kids and... Uh, I think the main thing about marriage and entrepreneurship, I don't think it, it, it's about whether you need to dedicate the whole thing to that. I think it's about supporting. And uh, I think it's, it's kind of the mutual, mutual support, uh, whether you support your wife and, and vice versa, uh, in order to pursue what is this that you're passionate about and what is it that you want to do. And I think if there is this uh, support, uh, in, in your home, in your house, uh, with your spouse, uh, that's a big thing uh, because then, you know, it enables you to spend the time that you need, to travel wherever you need, um, you know, to take chances or risks in some cases. Uh, and, and, you know, you want to, it's, it's usually easier when you have a, a partner uh, to the journey than to do it on your own. So, uh, I would, you know, I think that uh, I don't think it should be either or. I think you should, you can definitely combine the two together. Awesome. I love to hear that. So many times we can hear on the TVs, you know, oh, uh, don't get married till you have it all figured out. And I, I would still not be married. I've been married 12 plus years. I wouldn't, I don't have it figured out yet. <laughs> I'm not sure you get figured it out until you're 85. So uh, I'm not sure we need to wait for that. That means we have a whole nother, you know, lifetime adventure, you and I, to figure it out and make the mistakes on the way. I, I don't want to give the people a game overload. I really want them, and I mean that, you guys. I'm not paid to say this. Get this book. Check this book out. Um, it, it's hard as an entrepreneur to sometimes find that support. So sometimes you have to read about it and hear about other stories that people have done it because even, you know, it's your your baby, your child, your dream, your goal. So, uh, Yuri, I thank you for coming on. Where can the people, you know, follow you in this social media world? Where do you like to be followed and update people? 
Um, LinkedIn would probably be the best place uh, under Yuri Adoni. Uh, there's a website for the book called theunstoppablestartup.com. Uh, obviously, you can get it on Amazon and, and other retailers. Uh, and, uh, but probably social-wise, LinkedIn and Twitter, that will be probably the two good places to, to get in touch. Well, no, that is awesome. I'll definitely, you know, hashtag you, tag you once this thank you very much. goes out. <laughs> I thank you for your time. I thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a true, interesting conversation. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. You guys like, share, subscribe. Yuri's links will be in the description box. Make sure you share it with a friend. Share the game. <laughs>